0: Good afternoon, this is Gary Kavanagh here on TRSI. Uh, Michael Dwyer is not here today, it's just myself. so It's going to be a, a rather short episode. I'm just back from a conference in Estonia, and uh, usually in this circumstance I, we, we wouldn't put up a, an episode at all. But this has been a year where we've missed a lot more shows than we would have liked uh, because of travel and uh, ill health. So I thought I should at least do something to try and break the habit of uh, not doing work. When we are a bit away. And so on this episode, I'm really just going to go through some of the work the EBI is doing at the minute of uh, the conference, why I was over there, where Michael is, and then just a particular point that was brought up in the conference that I thought was uh, very interesting. So as to where Michael is first, there were two foreign trips the EBI was required to do over the last couple of weeks. One was to go to a conference in Estonia, and one was to go over to Italy. Regular listeners may remember that when the government brought in minimum minimum unit pricing, We had said that we were going to ask around and see if it would be possible for us to, basically as a way to tweak the government's nose and uh, possibly to establish legal standing, just in case that was ever useful, uh, going to see if we could go over to Europe and bring in some uh, cheap alcohol that would fall below the minimum prices required by the government and not sell it on, but see if we could set up any sort of membership structure where we could give the wine to people, either in bulk or at events. And that took an amazing amount of time to set up because it turns out that the question of how exactly you do that requires a legion of solicitors. Um, There was an awful lot of, well, I mean, it looks legal, but you'd have to imagine that there's something going to stop you. But no one could quite pinpoint what that was for most of the time. So anyway, Michael is currently touring the vineyards of uh, Italy, trying to find the best wine that would, uh, in this country, come under the minimum unit pricing. So he's going to be back in about a week, where presumably he will have found the wine we should use and set up the supply of it. At which point, we will begin importing it into this country, and uh, you beautiful people, and I suppose the public more generally, will be able to sign up uh, to receive that wine. Again, because Michael has an incredibly good uh, head for wine, you might want to do that purely because it's good wine, but I'm sure the fact that you're going to be able to undermine the government by doing so may give it a particularly sweet taste as well. Well, presuming it's a dessert wine or something like that. So that's what Michael is doing. He, I think, got the long straw. I went over to Estonia for a conference of the ECR. They're one of the EU political parties they are, I'm not sure what their relative size is. I think they're they're, they're decently sized. They're, size, uh, they're large enough to be a problem, basically. And the conference was on uh, defending freedom. As to why I went to it to begin with, it's actually quite simple. When you start meeting European conservatives and libertarians, and whether those are fiscal conservatives or social conservatives, the phrase you uh, hear, generally the first thing you'll hear is, I've never met anyone from Ireland who does this sort of thing. What has happened is, because Ireland has never really had a a conservative or libertarian party, and there were no conservative or libertarian think tanks who were doing active outreach into the continent, we have no links to any of the, um, basically the rest of Europe. Um, And so one of the reasons i go over to these things is to try and build links with European and really worldwide um, conservative and libertarian groups, partially to see if there's projects we can do between us, but partially just to tell them about Ireland so that they know what's happening, partially just to ensure that in the future, should someone else be doing something or should there be you know, a more conservative or libertarian government in time, that there are existing links there that can be used rather than having to build them basically on the hop. The conference itself was, was quite good. These sorts of conferences, there's only so many things you can talk about in relation to you know, free speech or the threat of China. And there's a lot of things you can talk about, but after a while, conference topics tend to blur together very heavily. You're primarily going over to network and to you know drive through what is assuredly a very nice city if only you had time to go into it. So there are actually a number of relatively interesting panels um, as this was going on. But there was one that I thought was particularly interesting. It was from uh, Weisard Leghetto, who is the chairman of the ECR group, and whose name I have, I'm sure, just butchered. He's from Poland. When he was talking, a a portion of his speech was about how Poland is referred to as an authoritarian government. And he made the argument that he considers it... Poland to be manifestly more free on two principles one the laws that they have are less intrusive into the lives of citizens and secondly that there is a wider range of political views that are represented by the political parties I mean if you are a communist you have your party if you are very hardline right you have your party and then in between there are a multitude of parties to choose from. I thought it was particularly interesting because there has been a lot of talk about authoritarianism. And it's tended to, stru- it's tended to focus on structural elements, on things like uh, the judiciary. And those are absolutely very important. And this is not, by the way, to say that there are no issues in Poland that one can take uh, concern with. But it is interesting that more Western countries, we only focus on those structural issues. Because when he says the laws are less intrusive into citizens' lives, he's right. Not in every area, but as a general, I think we can say that as you move into the, the Visegrad countries, the laws tend to be less intrusive into citizens' lives. The parties and the governments there do not believe that it is the place of government to interfere in people's lives in some of the ways that in the more Western European countries are perfectly accepted. And again, when he says a wider range of political views are represented, that's certainly true in Ireland. In Ireland, I mean, Fine Gael, Fianna Fáil, Sinn Féin, if you don't fall into that, I mean, you have the smaller parties... Even there, though, you don't have a great range of political choices. I mean, Aintu would be the closest thing to a socially conservative party in this country that has an elected member. But Aintu, there are certain issues where they're very strong, but as a whole, are they socially conservative? I think it really depends on issue by issue. Now, there are other European countries where I think his point is much less strong when you start going into some of the uh, Nordic regions. But as a whole, his point got me thinking about how we discuss authoritarianism in this country and that we purely focus on those structural issues and I think part of it is be- is not that we think that he has a point it's that we have convinced ourselves that anything the state does in certain areas in Ireland cannot be authoritarian because it is necessary and it is good. So for instance when you look at things like free speech whatever your feelings about uh, hate speech A law on it is a compulsion on what people can say, on how they express their political views, on how they express other views. Now, we may say those views are vile or they are uncomfortable and they should not be expressed in a society such as ours, but that is an authoritarian impulse and it is an authoritarian law. But we don't consider it as such because we have decided that our type of society needs it. And I think on that basis, if we want to talk about authoritarianism... We should talk about intrusive laws. We should talk about even basic things like um, sin taxes, taxes that aim to control what you're doing, basically by nudging you along with fiscal penalties. We should talk about hate speech laws. We should talk about things, uh, laws that require certain gender compositions in your businesses, in charities, things of that nature. Laws that control hiring or firing all are arguably authoritarian because they represent an encroachment by the state into areas that would have previously been seen as private spheres which the state had no right to interfere in. And I think the problem there is if you have that argument and you talk about authoritarianism in that way, there are a lot of very respectable, very well-meaning people who are going to find out that they are very supportive of authoritarian policies, as long as they are convinced those policies are designed to give us a greater good. I mean, that's a thought process that has historically not ended terribly well, and it does, of course, remind one of um, C.S. Lewis's famous quote, Um, "...of all tyrannies, a tyranny sincerely exercised for the good of its victims may be the most oppressive. It would be better to live under robber barons than under omnipotent moral busybodies. The robber baron's cruelty may sometimes sleep, his cupidity may at some point be satiated, but those who torment us for our own good will torment us without end, for they do so with the approval of their own conscience." I really just wanted to, as I said, I I don't have much time at all to do this, because, as I said, I'm just back from Estonia, and my flight was delayed a fair bit. But I thought it was an interesting point, and absolutely something I think that we don't consider here, because anything we do must be good, must be well-reasoned, and must be proportional. Whereas, I think in Ireland it's very easy to call some of these countries authoritarian, because we don't know anything about these countries, we don't. So, for instance, when these countries come out and make comments about... Russians. We don't know anything about the history there. We don't know anything about the history or the, the current situation there. So for instance, in Estonia, when people have been commenting about Estonia and whether or not they will give visas to Russians who are now uh, fleeing Russia, I would wonder if the people commenting on that, whether to approve of it or to disapprove, are generally aware that in Estonia today, there are about 300,000 Russian-speaking people. And some of those do not speak Estonian at all. There is a sizable demographic there who are the direct descendants of uh, people who moved over during the Soviet era, uh, many of whom were moved over by Stalin, and who now are effectively a distinct ethnic and uh, political group in the area that they have totally failed to integrate despite substantial efforts. And I'm not saying that that says we should take a particular step with the Russians. I'm just saying knowing that and knowing the currently existing problems between the ethnic groups it should inform our view on the matter whether that is positive or negative negative. and i would suspect that most of the people talking about it in ireland have absolutely no idea about something like that because basically they've googled estonian uh, history and then they feel very comfortable going on radio or tv and talking about it as if they are an expert in it, and you're seeing it with the Italian elections at the minute. People coming forward talking about, is this party far right, what is this party, what are these things, while being very clear they know nothing about Italian politics. And actually one of the reasons we haven't discussed Italian politics on this show is that Italian politics is monstrously complex and oftentimes doesn't really make sense if you haven't lived in Italy. But that hasn't stopped a lot of people coming out and and discussing it at length and quite poorly. And I know I've drifted slightly off the point there, but my I think the point I'm trying to make is that often in Ireland and in other countries, the conversations we have about the failings of others are absolutely blind, both to our own failings and the arguments that could be made against our own behaviour, which we think is totally, totally fine, but are also coming from a place where the people discussing it know nothing about the individual history or politics of the place they are talking about. Anyway, I think I will leave it at that. As I said, I I wanted to keep this short and just get out of the... uh, and you know, just get something up, but I hope uh, I hope you found that an interesting point. And it is interesting, how I th- I think at least how much of the modern discourse about authoritarianism and which countries are illiberal liberal democracies or illiberal democracies, as people say, is not based on any objective examination of how people. Are affected by living in these places. It's just an analysis which is shaped and contained by social power. Largely, we do not consider the ways in which we are authoritarian. We could be authoritarian because we are good and therefore cannot be authoritarian. Even as we enact things that would have historically been viewed as grievous and unconscionable breaches of civil liberties. But of course, we are good, so we don't have to worry. It's those Eastern Europeans who don't really understand. Um, what it means to be a liberal democracy. We will be back next week where Michael should be out of the vineyards. All the best.